Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hey, what's the first brand that had an impact on you as a child? You know, and, and maybe this is recency effects. I'm watching the Michael Jordan documentary uh, right now, but it was the Jordan. I mean, it was Nike. It was my Air Jordans. You know, it was the first time I deeply cared about, you know, something I owned. Um, you know, I had like the jo- my, Michael Jordan cologne. I had the shoes. I had the jacket. I had the shirt. I didn't have the height, unfortunately. So my basketball career didn't go very far. Um, but it's the first memory I have of being so proud of something I own, where something moved beyond commodity to, you know, part of my identity, which ultimately is, is brands, right? And uh, I, have, I just really have distinct memories of that. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Vineet Mera, the SVP and global chief marketing officer of Walgreens Boots Alliance, the first global pharmacy-led health and wellness enterprise. Walgreens purchased a 45% stake in UK-based Alliance Boots in 2012 and completed the merger in 2014. And this is one large healthcare company. About $140 billion in revenue, nearly 20,000 stores in 11 countries, north of 400,000 employees. My conversation today with Vineet is wide-ranging. Vineet started his career at P&G in beauty care, And after that, his career path has taken him all over the world with roles at six companies since leaving P&G. Vineet is one of the leading voices at this critical time in the healthcare industry, as purpose and service to others is more important than ever. This is my conversation with Vineet Mehra. Vineet, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I am so looking forward to this, and I want to jump right into it, and I want to quote you from something I heard you say a while ago. So listen to this quote, and then we're going to talk about it. This is you speaking. We're on a mission to democratize healthcare by being more human, more personal, and treating each customer and patient as a complete, unique individual. I would love you to tell us, in the midst of this health and economic crisis, how are you doing with your team on that ambitious mission? You know, I, I very much remember that, and uh, it remains core to what we're doing. You know, COVID, I think, is testing us in every way on that mission and on that purpose that we have as a company right now. Um, you know, the irony is, is in a moment like this is when you sense the humanity and personalization and community focus of healthcare needs to be more important than ever, right? What we're dealing with is not an algorithm. We're not dealing with something predictable. We're dealing with this world where we have to understand each of our patients' unique needs. 
Uh, we have to meet our customers where they are, which in this case is in their homes. And we're adjusting our company to do that. And most importantly, we're a business of community pharmacists. And, uh, you know, that's what our brands are all about, both Boots in the UK and Walgreens here in the US. And we are adjusting and connecting with our community in ways that we never have before. And we're seeing the relevance of that purpose uh, more important today than it ever has been. And, you know, I'm sure we'll go through a lot of different ways we're pulling that together throughout this podcast. You've been in this big job at Walgreens Boots Alliance for about 17, 18 months. So beyond the obvious stuff like working remote, et cetera, et cetera, how are you leading and working differently since the crisis? You, Vineet, as the CMO? Yeah, you know, I'd say there's probably three big kind of shifts uh, that I think are were already in play, but they're sort of being doubled down on now. I think the first thing is, you know, you always realize as you get higher and higher in an organization, and this is the first time I'm a CMO leading other CMOs, um, you realize that you just set the north and get out of the way. And there's nothing like remote learning to accelerate your learning track on something like that, right? Because you just physically can't be there. And that trust you have in your team, the connectedness you have with your team is what matters in moments like this. And so I'd say the first thing is just getting out of people's way, but being there when they need you the most, kind of really practicing that idea of sort of servant leadership is accelerating. I think the second thing is, is honestly, you know, with so many operational and financial challenges at this time, you know, I'd say I'm doubling or even tripling down on this idea of being the voice of the customer and their experience during this time in the C-suite. Um, you know, it's so easy to get lost in sort of the inventory challenges and the out of stocks and those things. And that's important. Don't get me wrong. But I think I've got to play a unique role at this time in the C-suite of just really talking about the customer's experience and how we're meeting them where they are. And uh, I'd say those are two of the you know biggest shifts uh, that, that I'm making right now. So what's the most surprising or unexpected out of stock at Walgreens now? I, I'm, I know you're challenged with toilet paper and paper towels and diapers. I've seen that. I've experienced that myself personally. Yeah. What's the kind of most crazy thing that you're out of stock that you w- might not have expected? Yeah, well, interestingly, and in hindsight, it seems obvious, but I would never have guessed this. Two of the biggest searches on our websites, both at Boots and Walgreens, are hair dye, uh, increasing in importance over the last, I'd say, week or two. And then interestingly, hair clippers. Um, everyone wants to cut their hair. And so it seems like hair is a really big thing. And I'm sure you've seen it on your Zoom calls. People are always commenting all of a sudden on people's, you know, unshaven look <laughs> these days. And, uh, you know, so those are a couple of the surprising ones. Hair dye and hair clippers. Hair seems to be a very highly involved category at this time in terms of grooming. I'm growing my hair out for the first time since high school. Yeah, no, it looks good, Jim. Keep keep with it. <laughs> All right. So what's been your most profound learning since this started about eight weeks ago? You know, um, I guess it's, and I said this a little bit earlier, I think it's this idea of we're going to talk later, and I'm sure everyone's going to talk about the importance of forced digital in this world that we're in. But to me, I I feel like that had already begun. I felt like this might accelerate it and make it go faster. But the thing that sort of my most profound sort of learning or kind of thing that I'm absolutely convinced on now is you're still going to need human touch. 
you're going to need this combination of digital magic and human touch to really connect with consumers moving forward. Uh, algorithms are not going to solve the problem. Look at COVID. It's, it's not the solution, right? I mean, you can't predict your way through this. There's no signals. There's no algorithm that can predict what's going to happen or what the demands are going to be. So I think the most profound thing for me, and I think it stems from our expertise and our community pharmacy heritage, is the importance that our frontline health workers, our pharmacists are playing in this moment, and that that simply cannot be replaced um, by just digital experiences. And so for me, you know, coming out of COVID, of course, we're going to double down on digital, but I think we need to double down on digital in a way that also integrates humanity and the human experience and all of that. And, uh, you know, it's something that I for sure will take with me and our company is going to take with us on the other end of COVID. Let's talk a little bit more about your company and how you think it's going to change coming out of this. Is that the biggest change you think you're seeing? The, how the frontline healthcare workers who work for Walgreens and Boots have risen up and maybe do di- have done different work? I mean, what do you, what do you think the lasting change will be? for your company and how it operates and what it values? Yeah, so so look, um, I mean, we've had to, I think there'll be a few. I think the first one is agility and speed and the pace at which you've had to work. And I, and I think that that has to be here to stay. I mean, if I, you know, if I was to tell you things like, you know, we've launched, you know, Postmates delivery around the country within a matter of weeks. Uh, within a matter of three weeks, the team launched, you know, drive-through pickup for retail products when people weren't coming to the store. We've put plexiglass up around the country to protect our employees from, you know, the, the dangers of, of the virus. Um, we have connected to our communities in ways you never have before. We have a fine care platform where we've launched kind of telehealth services um, and connecting consumers to that. And all of this in a matter of weeks. If I had told you that those are the things we wanted to do prior to COVID, the honest truth is that might have taken us six to 12 months. And so I think the first thing that we've shown ourselves is that when push comes to shove, we can work differently. We can bring new experiences to customers um, and we have the ability to do that. And I think that's probably one of the changes that's been most amazing to see. I think the second thing is around our brand. I mean, if I took you through some of our equity scores on the Boots brand, it's higher than it's been in the last seven or eight years with the least advertising we've ever done in the last seven or eight years. And the reason our brand is so powerful right now is I think fundamentally it has reestablished the importance of the community pharmacy and the role of our pharmacist in the lives of consumers. And this crisis and pandemic has absolutely reasserted the critical role we have in society for what was often an overlooked profession of, of, of pharmacy. And if I'm very honest, you know, you see a lot of the frontline worker celebrations that are happening. The pharmacist is not mentioned to the same extent as maybe some of the other professionals. But if you think about it, they're the ones there every day, manning the store, ensuring your medication gets through. And in fact, uh, Jim, a really interesting tidbit is in the UK with the NHS, some of our pharmacists are actually in quarantine right now are actually answering the equivalent of 911 calls right now and actually providing healthcare advice to people dialing in. 
So it is, it is really reestablished and doubled down on the importance of pharmacy and the frontline worker um, and just our role in the communities and the relevancy of our brand is at levels, you know, that it really hasn't ever been before. And I think lastly, um, it's really this idea of personalization, and I'm sure we'll talk about that moving forward. But, you know, in moments like this, having that sort of engagement and relationship with the customer on a one-to-one level is how you build relevancy. And uh, it's something that uh, we're doubling down on. We're accelerating our digital investments in a time of great financial uh, and economic uh, hardship. We're actually doubling down on digital investment. And it's something that uh, we're certain is here to stay, not just because of the word digital, because it allows us to develop one-to-one relationships. And uh, we're absolutely committed to that. You're in such an amazing catbird seat to see what's going on with the consumer. And I know what, no one really knows where this is all going. We're still only eight, nine weeks into it. But what do you think will be the lasting changes with consumers' habits and practices and spending, et cetera, coming out of this? What's your speculation? Yeah, like you said, we're all uh, doing the best we can with the data we have. Um, but but we're looking at a few key things that we're focused on that we think is going to be on the other end of this. The first one is going to be, you know, we talk about, you know, 10 years of sort of digital adoption behavior happening, you know, in 10 weeks. And while all of that may not stay, a great portion of what consumers are doing online now is going to be here to stay. So just a few data points for for your listeners on this. So we have some data that's telling us that of one-fifth of everyone who did an online grocery shop over the last few weeks did so for the first time. So 20% of people who online grocery shop did so for the first time. And amazingly, it's in that older audience that had been slower to adopt some of these technologies And I think that frictionless experience and that convenience that people are seeing, I think that's that's here to say. Um, Another really interesting tidbit is around telehealth. So we're hearing from some of our payers, around 65 to 70% of our payers are saying that they're seeing a 25% or greater use of telehealth. So I'm sure you saw the messages around Facebook Messenger and some of those other apps can now be used for healthcare consultations. I mean... Just think about that, right? You can have your primary care visit. You can have your kind of child checkup done through telehealth. And we're seeing that adoption happening at levels that I think would have taken five to 10 years happening in the last, you know, five to 10 weeks. And I think that's a really, really uh, powerful idea. So I think this idea of forced digital um, and it's almost this forced penetration of behavior change is the first thing we're going to see. And I think that's why you're going to see so much acceleration in digital investment across every industry. Um, and let's just say that's a that's a good industry to be in right now. Um, I, I think the second big thing is going to be um, around this idea of community connection. Um, you know, in an, in an algorithmic world and in a world where Facebook and all of these things allow you to connect um, with places far and wide, what's emerged through all of this is apps like Nextdoor, right? Apps that keep you connected very, very tightly to the fabric of those around you. And, you know, there was just no way I would have predicted this would have happened so quickly. But all of a sudden, that know your neighbor idea 
has just accelerated because very literally your neighbor, your neighbor's health and wellness directly correlates to the health and wellness of your block. Um, and taking care of each other through this time, helping out an elderly neighbor with the chores. I have never seen this kind of community connection. Um, and it's this sort of connected culture and focus on healthcare workers, their patriotic heroes who tend to be local community heroes um, that I think is really going to explode in the future. Um, and so that's the second idea. And I think brands and marketers, we all, we all have to think about kind of mass versus community and, and what does that mean? And so it's something we're starting to work through. And I think, you know, the third big idea is this idea of essential sort of expertise. So, you know, we live in this world of, you know, fake news. I mean, you've heard all of these things, but actually what's really interesting is when you look at consumer media consumption habits, part, typical partisan-based sites are actually seeing massive declines in traffic. And where web traffic and consumer media traffic is going is to the quote-unquote trusted sort of less partisan names. And, you know, it's a really interesting dynamic around, you know, who will consumers trust in the future? What impact does that have on, you know, where brands spend their money? Um, you know, who do you want to be associated with in the future? So this idea of sort of expertise, both from a media standpoint, and then secondarily, also the role of business. I read some stats the other day that we've been sort of studying is that something like 70 4% of consumers believe that CEOs should take a bigger role in defining sort of community and sort of societal outcomes. Uh, I read another stat that there's actually literally a 54 point gap in this question to consumers in one of our trackers um, around uh, who's good at what they do between businesses and government with businesses being 54% ahead of, uh, of government. So I think the role and purpose of business in sort of society is going to see an elevation after this. Um, and we already saw that movement beginning. I think you're going to see that double down. And third, you know, and you've heard me say this uh, already is this idea of frontline workers, healthcare workers. I think never again will they be taken granted, taken for granted. Um, you know, just pharmacists um, in this study, we've seen that 78% of consumers are saying that pharmacists um, are seen as extremely important in this crisis. And, and I promise you, uh, maybe a few months ago, they would have seen as important, but not extremely important by that many people. So I think you're going to this kind of mix of sort of um, forced digital, the connection back to local communities, and sort of essential expertise, I think are two or three of the things that, you know, we're all going to have to figure out how to manage and and orient our businesses and brands towards. Those are all very optimistic thoughts, actually. Yeah, I, I think these are these are good for the world as a whole. I mean, we can go into recession and, and all of those other things. I mean, I think those are well documented, right? Uh, 30, 30 million people filed for uh, unemployment. But, but the thing about that is, right, we've seen that before, right? We may not have seen it this quickly and at this space, but I think many companies have that playbook um, around smaller sizes, you know, being able to create trial through, you know, value. But I think some of those other things we talked about and I mentioned to you are sort of new in the playbook. And I think we're all going to have to figure that out. Is there something you've tried, Vineet, yourself for the first time during this yeah. time? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. On on a on a personal level, um, I've tried to be and failed trying to be my son's uh, school teacher. He's in grade one, and uh, I have a newfound appreciation for his teachers. Let me start by by saying that. Um, on another personal level, I've tried mixology, and I'm starting to uh, become an expert mixologist and starting to learn that. So that's something I'd be more successful on, and maybe it's my career um, after I do all of this. Um, and look, from a business standpoint, um, you know, we're we're just we're throwing everything we can at um, creating new experiences for the customer. And, you know, some of them work, some of them don't. But uh, I think what a lot of us are doing now as leaders is learning the value of experimentation. Um, and I, I'm not a big fan of this idea of fail fast. I'm more like this idea of learning fast. And I think we're all learning uh, much faster than we ever have before. So learning's all around the personal side and the business side. I've heard from so many CMO leaders in the last eight weeks that their creativity out of their organization is at an all-time high. And it sounds like it is in yours as well. Why do you think? Is it because we're coming together more? We're focused on customer problems? Priorities are clearer than ever? Why is the creativity at such a high level? Yeah. So what's that saying? Necessity is the motherhood of invention. Um, I think we, you know, our communities need us, our families need us, our consumers, our customers need us. Um, and I think what that's done is not as it just need, but I think it's inspired a sense of purpose in, uh, in people and, and in our, in our, in our organizations. And when you combine sort of urgency with purpose, I think you start to unlock the very best of humanity, the very best of our people. And I actually think that's what's happening across the board. Um, you know, people have refound their sense of why they do what they do. And at the same time, you know, they see urgency uh, in, in the businesses that they, they know and love and they work in. You put those two things together and I, it's unleashing creativity like nothing I've ever seen. It's, it's, it's quite amazing to see. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now, I want to talk a little bit more in depth about your role as CMO of Walgreens Boots Alliance. You're the first global CMO of this company, which came together in 2014, correct? Yep, that's right. What was your remit coming in? You were the first in the job, not easy, coming in at a senior level, coming in from outside the company. So what was the remit and has it shifted in this year and a half? I suspect it has. Yeah, I mean, the remit was um, how do we think about marketing in a modern sort of context, right? How can we take the role of marketing in what was a pretty traditional sort of retail pharmacy business in a totally um, new way? And for the most part, I would say that remit hasn't changed, but the way we're going about doing that has been further defined, right? And, you know, you, you and I have talked about this before around the role of a modern CMO and, and what it's all about. And, you know, I think fundamentally, uh, the thing that attracted me to Walgreens Boots Alliance was just 
for all intents and purposes, we're a hundred billion dollar direct to consumer company, right? I mean, we have levels of first party data that are unprecedented. We have more than 120 million people enrolled in our loyalty programs, both here in the US and the UK when you combine it. And I think what my role really is, is about how do we become a customer centric, customer obsessed organization that works customer in versus operations in. And so my role is as much about technology and data and first party and brand and purpose. I mean, that's obviously a big part of the role. The other part of the role is culture and finding a way to blend cultural change and sort of um, kind of focus with the technology data and brand work that we need to do and, and bring those two together is sort of how the remit has been further refined. And, you know, we're, uh, we're well on our way, but still a long way to go, kind of pleased, but never satisfied. Um, and I think that's the mentality we've, we've, we've adopted here inside the company. So for the aspiring CMOs who are listening, tell us a bit about how you take that big remit and break it down. How do you spend your time? You know, yeah, what, do you, yeah. what do you do to make that come to life? Well, well, you know, I mean, you, you've done this before, Jim. I, I worked in your organization at one point uh, over at PNG, and and I think you know th- th- it starts with setting a simple vision that everyone can articulate around the company. And for us, it's, it's this idea of mass personalization. Um, and you know, we've really got the company company's whole imagination and sort of energy behind a, a, what sounds like a simple idea. And I think that's the key. But then underneath it, what you've got to do, my second job I do, right, is just get people ready for that. And so we, where I spend a lot of my time is on teaching while we work, a lot of developing, you know, what I call unicorns, these, this, this, this talent that is equally adept at brand, data, and technology. So we've launched a lot of self-learning programs around the company. And third, there's a lot of just, um, you know, frankly, I spend a lot of time with my technology partners. Um, we have to completely rebuild the infrastructure of the company um, from, a, from a data and marketing automation standpoint. And so I'd say my time is sort of set in kind of vision storytelling, right? Creating a narrative for the organization to follow. Um, the second piece is around cultivating these unicorns in the organization, giving them the tools to develop the skills that they need, um, as well as acquiring new talent into the organization. And I'd say, you know, the third part is really around, frankly, uh, is becoming a technologist. I mean, myself and my, my, my partner, my, our CIO here, uh, Francesco, who joined the company and I are attached at the hip and, uh, you know, we do this together. So, uh, it's. The remit of a CMO is very different now because I think we're all in this world of an industry that's changed more in the last five years than it did in the last 50. And so I think we're all in that same same boat of driving transformation, but you know, getting our people ready for that in a, in a really meaningful way. What do you feel super happy about in the last year and a half? And what are you not so happy about in the last year and a half? Yeah, I, I think what I'm happy about is, you know, you know and, and this is sort of public information. I mean, when, a when, a when your CFO comes out in a, in a public, um, in a, in a, in a public investor call and shares that your new personalized marketing efforts are driving incremental growth in the company. Um, that's, you know, that's when you know that you're making an impact on the business, right? Uh, you know, CMOs have got to think like CFOs and we've got to deliver value to the bottom line. 
And, you know, that's something that I know myself and the whole organization is really proud of is that it's not just a vision, but it's a vision turned into some financial benefit that's being, you know, publicly uh, declared. So I'd say that's probably something we're really proud of. I mean, that's when you know uh, you're making a difference. And, and I'd say that's probably top of the list. O- on the stuff that, you know, we still have to go. I mean, I mean, look, you, you, um, you try as hard as you can and uh, you, you still never get there quite as fast as you want. And so, you know, I, I wish we could go faster. I wish, you know, we could get our capabilities um, in, our, in our folks transform more quickly. But then you step back and realize you're doing all you can. You realize that your people are doing all they can. And if there was one thing that I'm always tough on myself on, it's, you know, is there anything we can be doing to go faster, to remove friction, to kill the bureaucracy? Um, And unfortunately, I I think, you know, I and the organization still have some ways to go to to keep the speed and the momentum at the the pace that's required, I think, for our customer to, to really meet their needs. You talked a minute ago about learning fast versus failing fast. You like the former concept better, learning fast versus failing fast. How do you deal with fear of failure in your culture? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a changing element in our culture. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, as I'm sure it is in, in many, many different cultures. I'll tell you, though, Jim, the, the thing that is really amazing about the digital world is that you know, and this is where all these ideas have come out of, and there's a reason for that, is that in the digital experience landscape, failure doesn't happen at the same scale as it does in the analog or physical landscape, right? So what I mean by that is um, you can contain, you can learn fast and contain failure. You know, you can divert traffic, you can launch in just a few states, you can geolocate, you can do so many different things. So I think for companies that are sort of um, and for companies, leaders, all of us that, you know, to some degree are scared of failure. Right. I mean, to to some degree, that fear of failure is also a uh, it's also a motivator. It's a driver for many of us. Right. Um, I think the way you can bring an organization along and what we've tried to do is to launch these experiences, but contain them such that if they do fail, we, we we're able to contain and pivot very quickly and I think that's really hard to do in a physical only way, right? If you're rolling things out and you have an analog business model, which is why pretty much everyone's moving to platform digital-based businesses, you can contain and really um, adopt the learnings for the next test. And so I think it's this idea of learning fast, testing your way through it, and not trying to get it right the first time. And, and I think that's how we do it. We try to contain, we try to leverage digital to drive those customer experiences, and that allows us to learn and then also scale immediately when, when we do get it right, um, those one out of every 10 times. Um, and uh, that's the way we approach it. Vineet, you and I have talked about brand purpose many times in the last several years. Yeah. We were together on stage at an event at the Kellogg School at Northwestern this past fall. Yeah. You shared several principles that you have found to drive a, pur- a successful, pur- purposeful brand. And I don't want you to go through all seven of those, but if you could share one or two, maybe we've already talked about it on the podcast, but just one or two that are fundamental to your philosophy on how to build a successful, sustained, purposeful brand. Look, I'll just cover the one big idea to me, which is you've got to be able to connect purpose with commerce. Um, and I think that is the core of this. You know, a lot of us have worked on brands that have, 
you know, try the anthemic advertising approach, right? Try to really um, kind of connect with culture and do that in a meaningful way. And in many cases, I think from a communication standpoint, we've been successful. But I think to really sustain the commercial kind of side of your business and the kind of purpose uh, that you guys are going after as a business, I think those two things have to absolutely connect. So we talk, Jim, about things that we do at Walgreens Boots Alliance, like, um, you know, vitamin angels, where for every vitamin you buy, we donate vitamins to folks that need it. You know, we talked about things like um, get a shot, give a shot, where when you come into a Walgreens or a Boots for a vaccine, we provide life-saving vaccines to people. And we provide more than 50 million life-saving vaccines around the world. But you can see in those examples that those things stick and they stay because the outcome and the purpose that we're driving and the kind of societal outcome we're driving is absolutely congruent to a commercial impact that we're having. And so it's this idea of connecting those two that I think allows all stakeholders to get bored, right? Whether you're, you have a stakeholder that's all about the community, they can get on board with that. If you're a kind of a financial stakeholder, you can understand that. And if you're a, uh, in a, you know, if you're a commercial thinker, you can understand that, right? So that has to be at the core of it. And I'd say that's sort of the guiding light of all of this. Um, and, you know, you're not, Jim, you and I have talked about some businesses have a harder, t- have an easier time than others of connecting commerce and purpose. But I think that's why, you know, CMOs are in place. We have to find those linkages. And, and if we don't, I think we're going to have a hard time connect, making purpose a big part of our company's sort of narrative. Well, related to that, you and I have also talked about measurement as being a big issue in purpose. And you, you, in fact, introduced us to an interesting measurement company, which we're now working with. Do you think that's still our biggest opportunity, finding that link, the causality between purpose activation and business results? Or is it something else? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and that's where this whole idea of purpose and commerce comes together, right? Because if you can truly connect your purpose to some kind of a commercial outcome, and, and I don't mean that in a um, sort of an unempathetic way. I, I just think that's the way, um, you know, uh, corporate corporations work. That's the way our society is connected. And I don't think these are mutually exclusive things. So I think to your point, being able to measure outcomes, um, whether they be commercial, stakeholder outcomes, you know, whatever they may be, um, that's going to be the end goal. And I think we're going to end up in a world, honestly, not too far from now, where uh, there'll be indexes and shareholder return metrics around this idea of measuring outcomes based on purpose. And it'll at some point and, you know, you people like you and I might be five years ahead of this curve here, but at some point it's going to form the basis or at least one of the vectors of how you value and put valuation on companies. Um, I don't think we're far from that, but I think we've all as CMOs got to start that work now. And that's why measurement is so important. You know, it's in its early days. The company you're working with is a great one, but it's still early, right? It's in its early stages and uh, it's going to be absolutely critical moving forward. I was at the Brand Week conference in Palm Springs last fall, and you know when we were still traveling and going to conferences. Yeah. And we were in a room yeah. of CMOs, and uh, I polled them, and I said, how many of you feel like we're doing a pretty, go- pretty good job as an industry on kind of finding our purpose, articulating it, 
pretty good. People gave us like a B plus. Yeah. How are we doing in activating yeah. it? Bringing it to life in our daily actions, our daily business. Is it relevant to everyone's work? I said, you know, C. How are we doing yeah. on measuring it and linking it? F. Yeah. So yeah. that's a, it's, it's a rich area. We need innovation. We need pilots, right? Because that's the only way. That's it's, exactly it's, it's, it. it's the only way it will become sustained as a way of doing business. Yeah, you, you've, you've got it. And, and look, you know, the, the facts are there, right? I mean, I think brand purpose kind of efforts have exploded over the last 10 years. But if we're very honest, and you look at most brand trackers, um, trust in brands has also declined over the last mm-hmm. 10 years. So it all comes down to, to your point, being able to activate it and measure it. And that's how it becomes a sustained result that drives value um, to all of our uh, uh, stakeholders in our businesses. I want to flip back and talk about your career path and what, how you got to where you are now at Walgreens Boots. And you've worked for seven companies who are pretty much all household names. And I know you want to open a pizza shop someday, and we're going to talk about that later. But sure. I want to name each of these companies that you've worked with, worked for. And I want you to give me a phrase or word that describes their culture. And I want you to give me a word or a phrase that describes their competitive advantage, if they have one. Sure. So this is going to be a little tough, let's, all right? And, and, let's do it. And he was not prepared for this. So, so the first one is the current one, Walgreens Boots Alliance. Culture and competitive advantage. Yeah, I think uh, competitive advantage is uh, our expertise and our frontline uh, workers. Uh, that's something that no one can replicate. Um, I think our culture is that of um, leveraging scale, um, and, and that's where I'd say those two areas last. Ancestry. Ancestry, um, I would say a culture deeply rooted in purpose. Um, competitive advantage was our, um, our customer sort of data platform that we had built um, that really allowed us to scale the business off of a singular platform. And that was your role before you came to Walgreens Boots. And I just have to, I'll, I'll, I'll continue with your career path in a minute, but I just have to ask you, you were in a really cool role there doing wonderful work. What compelled you to come to Walgreens Boots from that really fabulous job at, at Ancestry? Yeah, look, um, yeah, I was the, the global CMO there at Ancestry. It was probably some of the best uh, years of my life and, and, and uh, learned so much there. Walgreens Boots, to me, was just right at the center of, I think, what's going to be the next big transformation in America, which is healthcare. And I, I feel like the next decade is going to be defined for the U.S. and the U.K. on how healthcare gets simplified how it gets sort of, um, how the stakeholders get connected. And I really felt like we were in a position with our first party data, our community pharmacies, um, and our brand scale and reach to really play a pivotal role in how healthcare gets defined over the next 10 years. And so that was just too big a challenge and too big scale. And, you know, you're, you're getting to know me, whereas the bigger the problem, the more I get attracted to it. Um, then, and, and that was it. And it's all been very, very true so far. Well, the reason you joined Walgreens Boots is 10 times more dramatic now because we're Absolutely. seeing the issues in our fragmented healthcare system as we speak. Absolutely. And so it's, it's very much coming true. Yeah. Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. J&J is a company, the, the, the advantage is science. 
um, deeply science-backed um, brands and technology and R&D. And I think that's, that's a pretty powerful idea. From a culture standpoint, it's all about J&J's famous credo. Um, it's, it's quite amazing. You walk into the lobby of J&J and that credo is etched in stone. Um, and to see a company that operates with that level of integrity around a singular idea um, that is going to remain relevant, I think, for the next 200 years is, uh, was quite a powerful experience. You also worked at Avon for a bit. So that's yeah, a tough one. Yeah. That was my, uh, that was my like, take a chance move, right? I think we all got to do that one where we go, okay, can we make this happen? You know, Avon was, had a deeply powerful idea, which was empowering, you know, female entrepreneurs around the world. Um, and as you can tell, and as you read through the list, these are all deeply purpose-driven companies. And that's really what attracts me um, to where I go. And this idea of in, inspiring women entrepreneurs is a really powerful idea for me. And it was, that's probably was rooted. That's the culture part of Avon. On the differentiation, it was, I mean, think of it, right? Uh, the differentiation of Avon was, it was the first social network, if you really think about it, right? It was social selling before there was a Facebook. Um, and the idea was, how can you take a social network that's sort of analog and get it to become digital? And so really uh, fascinating experience, uh, a tough business um, at that time, but a really great experience. Novartis. Yeah, Novartis, which is now kind of being um, consumed into GSK uh, consumer yep. as that industry continues to consolidate. You know, I, I think the, the, the culture there was one of performance, um, a very performance oriented culture. Um, you know, I still recall our monthly uh, performance reviews. They were very detailed um, and you, you had to know your stuff, right? A very, very driven that way. I'd say from a, um, from a differentiation standpoint, it was, you know, it was, it was brand. I mean, if you look at the brands that Novartis had and for your Canadian listeners, there'll be people, brands like Buckley's and Neocitrin in Europe where I ran marketing there for a while, it was Voltaren. And, you know, in the U.S., it was brands like, you know, Theraflu, Excedrin. So I, I can't think of another company that had a stable of brands in the healthcare space like that. And so those brands were, were absolutely a, a pleasure to work on and a big difference for the company. So the final two were earlier in your career, General Mills. Yep, yep. General Mills was, uh, was a, um, it was a, uh, the culture there was one of deep, uh, I'd say financial kind of expertise, right? It was decisions were made, you know, deeply, deeply financially rooted. And it was a great school for that. Um, from a culture standpoint, you know, it's actually very similar to PNG. It's a promote from within company, 98% of it. And so culturally, there was a lot of emphasis on training and development, developing people. And so in that way, it was a very familiar place for me. And PNG, where it all began for Benit. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago. And what, you were there, what, nine years or so? Eight, nine, nine, yeah, ten years, yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, the culture there was, I mean, honestly, it was basically, it, it was a learning culture, right? It was a university. It was, it was basically my MBA is the way I'd like to think about it. And I think many of us would have said the same thing. Um, you know, I got to work in India. I got to work in Singapore. I started my career in Canada. So it really was almost like an exchange program, university, MBA, all together is what that place was for many of us who started our careers there. 
Um, and, you know, uh, from a uh, from a differentiation standpoint, I mean, you knew this better than everyone. I mean, it was, you know, it was a place where marketing and brand building was considered a core part of the company, right? And you don't see that everywhere. And at P&G, you really learned the value of brand. And I think uh, that was something that, you know, you were a big part of that. I still remember the brand building framework and the who, what, how, and those things will never leave my my psyche and uh, really thankful to have started my career there, as I'm sure many of your listeners have. It's a, it's amazing, the alumni around the world. It's a strong base. Did you leave P&G because you wanted to move faster or there was an opportunity for greater responsibility more quickly outside? Was that the compelling factor? Yeah, I mean, it was a couple of things. Like in life, nothing's ever quite that simple. I uh, I actually met my my wife um, at PNG in Singapore, and we decided we wanted to start our lives together, and we both wanted to start it in Canada. And uh, at that stage, kind of the personal life took over, and then Canada also gave me the opportunity to run my own marketing department for the first time. And so, you know, you get to, and at that point, I didn't know my career would take me around the world again. I just thought, you know, we're getting married, we're going to move to Canada, that's going to be our life. So it was a combination of sort of 10 years at PNG for actually for both of us, um, get married, move to one of our home countries. Her home country was the Philippines, mine was Canada, decided to move back and got a chance to run my own department. So it was probably a mix of things that was really, uh, that was really a part of that. I want to go to the last part of this podcast, which is my favorite part, which is kind of the lightning round where I ask uh, you, I ask you a yes. variety of questions about leadership and life and who you are and what you value. So the first one's going to yeah. be an easy one. What's your favorite pizza to eat? Yeah, it's got to be any pizza with fennel sausage and uh, mozzarella from Campania. Very specific. Very specific. <laughs> so why do you want to open a pizza shop? I've heard you speak about that before. You know, it's um, it, it's just a dream that I've had. I've got this strange infatuation with anything that involves um, craft and deep care for the ingredients, how things are put together. So, you know, I, the whole lore and the history and the storytelling around, you know, being, being a pizzaiolo and where the ingredients come from. You know, I guess in the end, a marketer is always going to be a marketer. I'm, I'm attached to stories and craft and kind of putting things together. And for me, um, that's really a, a dream that I've had. And, you know, it's not just any pizzeria. Of course, I want to open it on a beach, um, make it the only thing that we do. And now that I'm getting into the mixology world, maybe I'll put a little mixology bar inside that pizzeria. So that would be the dream, you know, and, uh, you know, it's really no more complicated do you have that. a name for it yet? Not yet, but uh, you know, I have some time to think about that. I think, and uh, well, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. My birthday was yesterday, and my kids gave me a pizza stone. Ah, I'm going to try that on the grill, and I think I'll start with the fennel sausage. I like, I love that idea. Yeah, you won't, you won't go wrong with that. Just make sure your mozzarella is from Campania. Uh, that'll be your, that'll uh, be tougher these days. Supply chains are a little bit <laughs> are a little bit tough, but I'll yeah. I'll work on it. What's a brand that you would really miss if it went away right now? Yeah, I think for me right now, and this specifically in this COVID moment, um, it would probably be DoorDash. You know, um, we're uh, we're while we're cooking at home, you can't do it every night. And uh, just the adoption around that's been great. And, and also some of the work that some of these meal delivery platforms have done 
around the user experience of first showing restaurants in your community is pretty powerful. So uh, for me, right now, we'd be dead without DoorDash in this house. You worked at Ancestry, which we've talked about. What was your most interesting finding in your Ancestry? Yeah, so interestingly, uh, when I did my DNA test, um, and you know, uh, it, there's an interesting story here, is uh, I actually found out that I was you know, 12% Swedish. So, you know, who would have known at some point um, there was some migration from the Nordics area um, down to sort of India, which is where actually where I was born. And uh, I, so I found out that I had some, some Swedish in me. Um, that clearly didn't come through in the height. You know, again, I've, I've missed some of the benefits of that, uh, of Ancestry, but it was, it was pretty interesting. And, and what was really, really cool, Jim, was Ancestry essentially we built a content brand. Uh, we actually did, and this is how it comes to life. Um, we actually did a, uh, uh, a Spotify partnership where you could actually upload your DNA results that then merged with your, uh, your own musical playlist. So I actually really enjoy, uh, hip hop. And so I actually ended up having some kind of Nordic hip hop on my kind of DNA inspired Spotify playlist. So it actually got me to learn about Swedish hip hop, which was really, which is really fascinating. So um, it was, uh, it was good to learn about. Well, that. we're all quarantined here at home. I have my son and daughter-in-law here. We'll listen to some Swedish hip hop tonight. Why not? Go, See what we yeah. think. It's, it's actually surprisingly outstanding. So you would know. <laughs> is there a book right now you're reading or read recently that's had an impact on you? Our listeners are really interested in this. Like I get requests for asking about books all the time. Yeah, you know, um, so actually, kind of ironically, I'm reading uh, Bob Iger's autobiography right now, um, and I just finished it. And now you actually read that, and it's about building a legacy at Disney and the new company that he's built, which was fascinating. And then I'm sure many of your listeners might have listened to Disney's latest earnings report, uh, which came out very recently. And uh, you start to see how no company, no matter how great you think you've built it, can sustain without kind of planning for anything that could happen to it. And so it's interesting. I'm reading in the middle of this moment and uh, I've, I've, he's got amazing lessons on leadership. And now you contrast that with what's happening today. And you realize that, you know, you're only at the beginning of your journey. Um, you can never really stop. And uh, you know, it's, it's this concept of memoirs and uh, saying you're ever really, you're never really done. You're only sort of 1% through the journey. And uh, that's sort of an insight that I've had post reading the book. Uh, great read. And uh, I've learned a lot about leadership from it. Yeah. I finished it recently too. It, it is a wonderful book. Great read. What's yeah. your greatest hope for the healthcare industry in the next 10 years? You know, just that it becomes customer experience focused, right? That it becomes patient centric, uh, seamless, frictionless, you know, the consumerization of healthcare, I think is absolutely critical. And I think it's going to take, you know, technology, humanity, and, you know, connectivity to make that happen. And so I hope we live in a world 10 years from now. And for those of us that have had parents or family members go through health crises, you know, how do we just make that, uh, how do we allow the person's focus to be on the person that's not well, rather than the paperwork, the administration? And uh, that would be a dream of mine. What's one thing that we could not find out about you on the internet? That I uh, majored in music in university. Um, yeah, I uh, did some work around uh, music theory and uh, a side, alongside a business degree. And so uh, that's, uh, 
that's a big part of uh, who I am that's as well. That's pretty cool. And you're you're still yeah. very interested in music. You listen to a lot of music. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 between that and cooking. Uh, it's the outlet, right? So a bad day, a tough day, or just a time where you want to be alone. I'm I'm sitting on the piano and uh, kind of playing around with the with the keys, trying to compose something. It's something that uh, that uh, that means a lot to me, and uh, I think connects me back to what's important. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, something I don't talk about a lot, but because uh, it's something very personal to me. Last question, Vinit. This has been a great chat. Who else would you love to hear on the CMO podcast? You know, I, I think interestingly, what would be great to hear on more of these CMO podcasts, um, and, and yours is obviously one of the best ones out there, would be from CFOs and board members. You know, uh, what's so interesting is as this function and demands on all of us change, um, you know, our stakeholders and our shareholders and, you know, our, our CFOs who are such core partners of ours, um, how do they see it? What are the other perspectives on this function? Um, and I think that could be a really interesting listen for so many of us, especially with the access you have, Jim, to some of the biggest CFOs uh, in the industry. I think we could all learn a lot from that because it'll allow us to kind of manage our transformations in the context of uh, the changing expectations of our shareholders. It's a great idea. You've been involved in the FEs as I have been, and they had their 50-year anniversary last year, and the and we had a big event, and the, the, the best speaker was the PepsiCo CFO, Hugh Johnson. He was, he was the Absolutely. most highly rated speaker because it was unusual, unexpected, and he was wonderful. He was. And Ian, you saw, I mean, he valued brand building. He valued the role of the CMO. But he was also having uh, changing expectations on all of us. So it's not a it's not a kind of mutually exclusive thing here. It's just I think everyone wants the brands and businesses to be successful. And I think Hugh's actually one of the best in the business at understanding and helping the function come along for this journey. Vineet, it's been an inspiring chat. It's great to hear what you and your company are doing. It's so it's always important, but more important than ever now. So thanks for all of that. Thanks to your team, and thanks for being so generous with us today. Thanks for having me, Jim. And, and uh, thanks for being one of my first mentors in the industry and for so many of us who listen to this. So thanks for the time and uh, wish you and your family safety and, and health. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. That was my conversation with Vineet Mera. What I really liked about this one was his focus on the importance of the pharmacist in these crazy times and how the real competitive advantage of Walgreens, Boots, is the quality of their people, and especially the people on the front line. I also love to hear him talk about purpose and what the gap is between purpose and measurement. He's one of the leading voices of that in our industry. And the last thing I loved was his view on the consumer these days. He's in the catbird seat. They have 20,000 stores. And his view on what's changing, what's going to be sustained, and the impact of this economic and healthcare crisis of consumer habits is an important voice. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.